Good afternoon, my dear brothers and sisters. Otaji. No Portuguese-speaking people, huh? Yes, Lucio. I can't express what a blessing from the Lord it is to be here once again. Some of us were mentioning our first time here at Harvey Cedars, and the weather is a little different today than it was 20 years ago. I, I think we were in the midst of a hurricane, and uh, so it's been uphill since then. So we're so grateful to the Lord that he has arranged this time. And you know, my dear brothers and sisters, before he arranges it, he supplies all that is needed. So I trust that we can rest in that today, that we don't have to do something out of our own human energy, but we can trust him to take this time and do the work that's in his heart that he desires to do. Now, the matter of spiritual travail. Both of my brothers have mentioned the impossibility of trying to address this issue and share what the scriptures have to say about it. And I just share with you the feeling I had when I began to consider this issue before the Lord. You know, over here on the left-hand side, my left, there's a bay. And on the other side, there's the ocean. And I felt like they were requiring me to take the water that's in the bay and put it in the ocean with a teaspoon. <laughs> so I feel the overwhelming responsibility of seeking to fellowship about this. But you know, my dear brothers and sisters, this is a place we ought to always be in, a place of total dependence upon him. And so today we have a number of scriptures. Uh, we usually don't read this many scriptures. But so that we would have a sense in our heart of the magnitude of this issue of spiritual travail, I felt that the Lord wanted us to read a number of portions related to this issue. Now for my two times that I'm responsible uh, this afternoon, it's in my heart to fellowship about the hope of glory. And the Lord willing, tomorrow evening, to fellowship about the fellowship of his sufferings. And I trust that as we continue, we will see that at the end of the rainbow, at the end of all that we go through, God has something so wonderful planned for us. We don't have to wait for all of it to the end. But there is a, a wonderful uh, plan that God has in store for his children. But it requires that we go through an experience of travail. So this afternoon, I would like for us to begin by reading in Colossians chapter 1. Our brother Dana read these verses last night. But when my brother Maurice called or sent me an email finding out if we were available and we felt in our heart to come. And then he shared with us the theme of this. And I had for a few days prior to this meditating on Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. So let's read these verses 
chapter 1 of Colossians, verse 24, and reading through the third verse of the second chapter. Let's ask the Lord to be with us even as we read his word. Blessed Lord, we're here this afternoon because of your mercy. And we know from what little history that we have had that you are totally faithful. And so we want to take and put ourselves in this time into your hands and ask you to sovereignly rule over our time. We know that you have sent the Holy Spirit to be here as your representative. And so we want to fully submit ourselves to him and say to you, blessed Holy Spirit, it is our desire that you have total freedom to work here among us this afternoon. We do bless you, Lord, that you have put in our hands a copy of your written word. And now as we read these portions, we ask that there be an anointing even on the reading. And Lord, that it will find a lodging in each one of our hearts. And even through this reading, Lord, you will have done something in each of our hearts. Thank you again for your great love to us. And we're just trusting this afternoon that you will find all the freedom that you desire to work among us. We give you thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister, according to the stewardship from God, bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is, the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And let's go to Romans chapter 5, please. The first five verses. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also 
we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God had been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to you. Romans chapter 8. Beginning to read in verse 12 and reading through verse 30. So then, brethren, we are under, under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For those who hope, for who hopes for what he already who, who for who hopes for what he already sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we don't know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestinated to become conformed 
to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Philippians chapter 1. Just one verse in this chapter. Verse 29. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Chapter 3 of Philippians. Verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's first read verses 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. Verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us 
an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if this earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we are inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I trust, my brothers and sisters, that the Holy Spirit be pleased to bring some of these verses back to our hearts in the days ahead of us. I don't know what your understanding of what is happening in this world is now, and I don't claim in the, in the slightest way to have a, a, an understanding of all that's happening. But we would have to have our heads in the sand if we didn't see that there is something of great significance that's happening in the world, not just in the United States, but all over this globe, there is a shaking taking place. And brothers and sisters, it is a time like this that I believe that the Lord in his great wisdom and love for us has wants to address this issue of spiritual travail. As our dear brother mentioned to us this morning, the issue is not whether or not we're going to have travail. That is going to happen. But the issue, in my understanding, is how do we respond to the travail? You know, our Lord tells us that all of these different things are going to be happening. And what does he tell us to do when we see these things happening? To look up. But our tendency is to look at the situation, to look at the difficulties, to look at the problems. But we, as his redeemed people, we need to take a different approach to what is happening. Now, I'm not in any way uh, trying to make light of 
any one of us who have gone through a difficult time or are going through a difficult time right now. But brothers and sisters, I think it's important for us to have a, a perspective from the fact that we are God's redeemed. We are the ones who love him. And because we love him and we are called according to his purpose, he makes a covenant, he can make a commitment to us to take everything, everything that happens in our life and turn it for good. Now, brothers and sisters, this is a wonderful, wonderful thing to know. When we're in the midst of these kinds of situations, to know that he not only sovereignly either permits them or designs them for us, the situations are going to come into our life. And we need to understand that this is part of this experience of travail. Now, this, this afternoon, I would like for us to fellowship about this statement of Paul in Colossians chapter 1. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Our brother Dana mentioned last night that this matter of hope is what, you know, helps us keep our focus in the midst of the travail. So I trust that somehow the Holy Spirit has been able to speak to our hearts in such a way that we understand travail is going to be a part of our life. Brothers and sisters, we're, we're born into an imperfect world. We're born into a hostile world, a world that continues to hate the Lord Jesus Christ, refuses his government, and here we are, his redeemed people. We are a heavenly people, but we're living here. And so we can't avoid it. But I think it's very important that we understand that there is a goal, an objective. God is not just meaninglessly allowing us to go through all of these things, or sometimes even engineers the situations in our life. Do you understand, my dear brother and sister, the blessed Holy Spirit knows everything about you there is to know. He knows about you things you don't know about yourself that nobody else knows. But God has, the Father and the Son has sent him here on a mission to first of all apprehend our hearts. In the midst of our rebellion, the Holy Spirit is able to somehow get the truth into our hearts. And it begins to make a change. We believe. And this wonderful experience of becoming a child of God, of being born again, becomes ours. But this is only the very beginning. And it's helpful, I believe, brothers and sisters, for us to remind ourselves that our God has an eternal purpose. And he, he is planning it in such a way that every one of his children can enter in and fully enjoy the, the realization of this purpose. So, a number of years ago, uh, there was a brother, uh, Bill Heiner, wrote a book entitled, Don't Waste Your Sorrows. Maybe some of you read this little book. But if I had to give uh, something of a title to what I'm seeking to share this afternoon, this is what I would like to say. Let's not waste our sorrows. Let's understand that there is uh, something that God is doing and because we belong to him, he's going to use everything in our life to reach that goal. What is that goal? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now I know, I don't know for you, but for many years, I understood Paul was talking about a place, glory. 
glory that. Because we have these kind of shallow hymns, sorry, some of these hymns that mislead us in our understanding of what this word glory is. And our dear brother Stephen this morning reminded us that when we talk about the glory of God, we're talking about God himself. So there is something that God has in his heart. And because he's God, it's going to become a reality. That you and I, as his redeemed, blood-bought children, have something awaiting us. That the only way that can be described is through this word, glory. Now, brothers and sisters, this is a big word. And we don't have any intention this afternoon to share what little understanding we have, except to focus it on what does it mean for you and me to experience glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is this glory that God has prepared for us? And I'd like for us to consider it from three aspects, from three angles. First of all, what does it mean for us individually as the children of God? What does it mean for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the church of God? And what does it mean for the creation that God has created? And from these verses that we have read this afternoon, there's no way you, you can see, there's no way we can even begin uh, to fellowship about all that we read about. But as I said earlier, brothers and sisters, I trust that these verses that we have read somehow have made an impact on our hearts to realize that we are now fellowshipping about something that is comprehensive, that is so inclusive and so very necessary and so very important. And so now we want to focus for a few moments in trying to understand what does it mean for us to have the hope of glory as individual children of God. Now that there are a number of things that we could fellowship about here. But you remember in uh, Colossians chapter 1, after Paul is saying, I rejoice in my sufferings, and I do my part in making up which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And one of the ways that he did it was through the proclamation of this mystery, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you remember what he says? We preach him. For what reason? That we might present every man complete in Christ. This word complete means brought to a place of full maturity. Now I don't know, my brothers and sisters, what your thoughts are. But from my experience of being a father and my observation of others, it brings sadness into the heart of a parent when one of their children doesn't grow up and become mature and come to a place where they're able to take responsibility. And I think we can say the same thing is true with our Heavenly Father. He has made total provision for you and me to grow up, to become mature, and to be able to be responsible in this which we have been called to. So first of all, Glory means that he's going to make us complete. It's what Paul says in another place in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, now that the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, not just a little part of you or the most part of you, but entirely. This is the objective of God. 
This is what the Holy Spirit is here to do. Is to take you and I in whatever condition he finds us. And when in the beginning, regardless of what your history was, you are in the same position that everybody else was. You were a hopeless, helpless sinner, a rebel against God. And God apprehended you with his love. And you, the Holy Spirit produced faith in your heart. He gave you the grace to put the faith to work. And you became a child of God. It's all his doing. But pre, please, my brothers and sisters, know that is only the beginning. It is God's heart. It is glory for you and me to be totally sanctified. Spirit, soul, and body. And we need to experience this to a, a, a great degree even while we're here. Now you know that God is not going to usher us into the age to come. Until we're fully prepared for that experience. So... Brothers and sisters, there is an experience of us being dealt with by the Holy Spirit to where our spirit, our soul, and our body is entirely sanctified, being made complete until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, first of all, glory means that you and I are brought to a place of maturity, a place where when God considers all the factors, he is pleased with where we are at that point. And we're not suggesting for one moment that we'll all, or any of us, will attain to perfection while we're here. But I believe there is a measure of maturity that God expects in the life of every one of his children. And it's glory when you and I uh, attain to that place. I want to share with you... Uh, something that happened to me that helps me understand this a little bit. Uh, I had the joy and the privilege of uh, being in many homes of our Chinese brothers and sisters in many places. And uh, I would sometimes uh, stay in their home. And especially on Friday night, it was a time for a recital for their children. Almost every uh, Chinese family, <laughs> their children play some kind of musical instrument. So Friday night was a night for rehearsals, I mean recitals. And so they would invite me to go with them. And often I was able to go. And after going for a few times, I stopped looking at the children and started looking at the parents. <laughs> now regardless of how well or how badly the children were playing, if you looked at the parents, you saw glory on their face. <laughs> their face was glowing. Even though they were squeaking with the violin or making all kinds of mistakes, there was a glory on their face, a satisfaction at the progress that their children were making. Well, brothers and sisters, I believe our Heavenly Father, his face shines. You know, our brother Sparks, his definition of glory is when God is satisfied. And brothers and sisters... We need to say amen in our hearts for him to finish this work. So, completed. Then we read there in Romans chapter 5 about <clears throat> tribulation and these other factors. But I want us to, to look for a moment at the outcome of these dealings of God. Proven character. My dear brothers and sisters, is it clear in your heart this afternoon 
that God has something so wonderful planned for you that it's almost impossible to believe. Maybe not for you, I'm speaking for myself. Do you know what your destiny is? Do you know that your destiny is to sit with the Son of the living God and reign forever and ever? And where is he seated? We just sang about it earlier. Where is he seated? Far above all. And we are to be seated with him there. But brothers and sisters, the only reason our Lord Jesus is seated there is because he is the only one qualified. He's not there because he's, he, is, uh, he has his, heaven, his heavenly father, he's his father. Or his father pulled some strings. Or did something under the table to promote him to this position. He is the only one qualified to be in that position. Because he has the character, he has the ability to fulfill the responsibility of being the ruler of the universe. In, in Portuguese we say, he is soberano. He is the sovereign Lord over everything. Do we understand this afternoon, my dear brothers and sisters, there is nothing going on in this world that he is not the sovereign over. He is the sovereign Lord. He permits it sovereignly. If he didn't permit it, then he would do something about it. But he is a sovereign Lord. And the Holy Spirit putting us through these different experiences is seeking to produce a character in every one of us to where the Heavenly Father and His Son can place in our hands the responsibility of ruling the universe with the Son of God. Now think with me. Where did we start? Where were we when God began to work in our life? We were His enemies. Yes, not just sinners. We were his enemies. While we were his enemies, can you believe it, my brothers and sisters, that he so set his heart upon his enemies and won their heart? For what reason? What did he have in mind? That one day his enemies would sit on the throne of the universe and be involved in his eternal kingdom. Now, this is what God is after. This is the glory. So if we endure with him, we will reign with him. So I want you to see the relationship between this issue of travail and glory. So please don't separate the two. And that's why this afternoon we feel like it's important that we focus some time on understanding what is the objective, what is God's goal. What is it that Paul talks about laying hold of and pursuing he had an understanding of what God was seeking to do. So our glory, this glory, Christ in you, the hope of glory, has to do with God producing a character in us exactly like his own son. And I don't care who we are this afternoon, my dear brothers and sisters, none of us started out there. We were totally disqualified. There wasn't anything in us, not one little thing in us, that qualified us to sit with the Son of God and rule this universe. But hallelujah, brothers and sisters, his intention is to bring us to that place. And that's why we have to go through the travail. It's necessary. It's not optional. It's necessary. And therefore, as we will fellowship the Lord willing tomorrow, tomorrow evening about how we respond to these opportunities of travail.
that produces this proven character. And then in Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about being heirs of God and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever stopped to think about that? <laughs> oh, now, what does God own? Huh? What is he the possessor of? Everything. And we are to be his heirs and fellow heirs with Christ because everything's been given to his son. And we are being made joint heirs. We are to share the riches of all that God is and all that God has done. This is our glory. And this is the goal that he is focusing our hearts and minds on. So that again we can understand that the Holy Spirit designs. It's no coincidences, my dear brothers and sisters. There are no coincidences in the life of God's children. He either permits them sovereignly or he arranges them. For what reason? So that. We will be in that place of being fellow heirs with our Lord Jesus Christ of all that God has created. And then in Romans chapter 8, and uh, I have to say to you, my dear brothers and sisters, it's very difficult for me to have opportunity to share and not mention Romans 8, 29, and 30. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, finish it for me, he glorified. Glorified. <laughs> Not just forgiven. Not just forgiven, brothers and sisters, but glorified. That is, that God is going to do such a work in us so as to fully restore us to where he can look at you and me and be satisfied what he sees in us the same way he was when he looked at his own son and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Could you ever dream of that possibility? That God, the righteous, holy God, who sees perfectly everything, can look at you and me and find no fault, find nothing wrong. That's the negative side. The positive side is he is totally satisfied as much as he is about his own son. So brothers and sisters, being glorified means we are conformed to the image of the Son of God. Don't take that lightly. Please don't take that lightly. This ought to be a deep, deep desire in the heart of every one of us. There ought to be something in our heart, even right now, that we say, Amen, Father. You have, you have called us. You have predestined us. And we say Amen to that predestination. We want to be conformed. We want to learn what our part in this whole process is. We understand. Only He can do it. But He won't do it without our permission and our cooperation. And he also gives you the grace to cooperate. So brothers and sisters, why do we hesitate when he is in the business of taking you and me and fully conforming us to the image of his own son? 
And then we read in those verses in Romans 8 about the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, I don't know, maybe some of you had considered this before. I hadn't considered this very much about the connection between being adopted as sons and the redemption of our bodies. Now, you understand that as long as we're here, uh, this physical body will not have experienced the salvation that has been provided for us. And so the glory is that we are not only going to have our spirits fully dealt with by the Lord and our souls fully transformed, but brothers and sisters, we're going to have a new body, a spiritual body. And so this is to be our glory as well, the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so please keep this in mind that this is part of this glory that uh, he has prepared for us. And you remember in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 11, Paul talks about that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Now, brothers and sisters, I think if you read carefully, you'll find out everybody is going to be resurrected. Okay? Believers and non-believers are all going to be resurrected. Some have to stand before the, the great white throne judgment. If you are believing in the Lord Jesus, you don't have to stand at the great white throne judgment. Now, you have a judgment coming. You have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of what you have done with what's been, what you've been given. So it's not that judgment is uh, removed now. It's just removed to a different perspective as to the place that we're going to have and what God has planned for the future. It's been pointed out by someone that in this Philippians 3.11, that Paul says that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Now, how do you attain to something that God is going to do? So there's another dimension here. And someone has suggested it ought to be translated that I may attain to the out-resurrection of the dead. You know, brothers and sisters, there are two resurrections in the scriptures. There are going to be a group of people who are going to be raised from the dead, and they're going to reign with the Lord Jesus Christ for a thousand years. Maybe we can read about it in Revelation chapter 19. Oh, sorry, not 19. Oh, verse chapter 20. Let's start reading in, uh, uh, let's see, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, a second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, 
and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, it seems to me that this hope of glory that Paul talks about, this one that he talks about attaining to the out-resurrection, that this is reserved for certain people who are qualified. That as they, they yield to the hand of the discipline of the Holy Spirit, they learn under his direction how to respond to the difficulties and problems that come into their life, and they allow, they cooperate with the Lord in producing a work in them to where they can then sit with the Lord Jesus Christ when the Lord comes back and sets up his kingdom here on this earth for a thousand years. Now, you can just go there to Revelation 20 and read for yourself. Not everybody is going to experience the first resurrection. And so the glory, the, the prize, the goal, the reward for being faithful, for being obedient, for enduring, for the experience of travail that goes on in your life, is that the reward is going to be that you will reign with him for a thousand years. And then I want to mention one other thing about this issue of the glory of God in terms of the individual believer. In that 2 Corinthians chapter 12 passage, I'm sure all of you remember this uh, portion of scripture where Paul, in the chapter 11, my brother and sister, he has this long catalog of experiences that he went through. You remember? <laughs> One of those would have been enough to totally discourage most of us. As I mentioned to a group of brothers and sisters recently, the only one I can identify with was on frequent journeys, but not in danger of anything. But he went through this whole list of experiences. Now, what is the Lord doing in this man's life? Here he is, someone chosen by the Lord, equipped by the Lord, given great revelation, and he has to go through all these experiences. You would have thought out of the Lord's love for him, he would have not allowed him to go through it. He would have made it possible for him to avoid all of that. But he did. You can go home and read it for yourself. 2 Corinthians 11. The long list of experiences. And you would have thought that that would have been enough. But it wasn't enough. Because of the great revelations that Paul had received, the Lord in order to keep him from exalting himself, gave him what he called a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him, to keep him from exalting himself. And this thing was so severe, so he felt like he couldn't go on. He could not fulfill his, his ministry if the Lord didn't remove it from him. So three times he goes to the Lord and appeals strongly to him, Lord, remove this thing from me. And the Lord's response was, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul's response, I am therefore content. Brothers and sisters, I believe this is a dimension of this glory, this hope of glory, is that you and I, even while we're here, can experience a contentedness to learn to understand that our God, our Lord, is in charge of everything. He's sovereign. There are no coincidences, no accidents. 
but that everything is either designed by him or permitted by him. And we learn to be content with what happens. Now, doesn't mean that there isn't some responsibility that we have. But you know, some of us, when we go through difficult times, when things happen in our life that cannot be explained, sometimes our response is not very good. And this is what I think Brother Bill Heimer was talking about when he said, don't waste your sorrows. The Lord will be utterly faithful in providing you all the necessary experiences so that you can have a personal experience of coming into this glory that Paul is talking about. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Our dear brothers this morning mentioned that when we come to believe in the Lord Jesus, Christ himself comes to indwell us. He's in us. And this life needs to grow and increase and produce character and it needs to be equipped for what is planned for us in the age to come. So my dear brother and sister, I want to encourage us to consider before the Lord what it is that the Lord has planned for you. What is his objective? What is his goal? What is his purpose? Is that we would experience for ourselves the glory of God. Now let's fellowship for a few moments. 5.15. Let's fellowship for a few moments about this issue of glory and the church. I apologize for those of you who've heard me share about this recently. But my dear brothers and sisters, it is so gripped my heart. It's hard for me not to fellowship about it. And it's something that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Where he says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this word workmanship, in the original language, it is the word poema, masterpiece. Brothers and sisters, please, let me make an appeal to you. So that you let the Holy Spirit make real to you that you, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, are deeply involved in the greatest thing that's happening in the universe. Do you know what it is? Lord Jesus said, I will build my church. Now, all I know sometimes we have used this word church in such a way that it has done something inside of us that's very, very unfortunate. But brothers and sisters, there's only one thing our Lord Jesus is doing. Building his church. Now he does many things in order to, to accomplish it. But let us not forget, there's only one thing on his heart. It's to build his church. There's only one thing in the heart of our Heavenly Father. That his son should have a bride. And so the church needs to understand that there is a glory that needs to be experienced by the church. I think the first thing that's good for us to consider is that this glory is related to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. The church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Dear brothers and sisters, may the Lord help us. May he give us much grace so that we stop using this word church in a way that really it, it, it's, it, it makes it difficult. Because we get ideas, concepts in our minds. And these get in the way of 
understanding so we can intelligently cooperate with the Lord in this great work that he's doing. But the church is to be the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, who is this one? The fullness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't believe that the Lord wants this to be something that just happens at the end. There ought to be a, a dimension of this, a degree of this, happening in every local assembly. The world around you should be able to look at you as an assembly of the Lord's people and see a full measure, at least a, a good measure, of Christ being manifested in your lives with one another and the way you relate to that particular community. So please, my brothers and sisters, our God, our Lord, is in the business of producing his masterpiece. In my understanding, it's greater than creation. He's doing something greater than creation. And some of you may have seen this DVD recently entitled God Indescribable. Some of you seen it? No? You seen it? How do you describe it? Indescribable. It really is. They have pictures of the universe that will, I'll speak to the young people, blow your mind. It's almost impossible to believe. How could be anything be any greater? How could God do anything greater than what he's done in creation? Well, in my estimation, this masterpiece that he's producing is greater than the work of creation. Now, there's another thing I want to say. I think it's greater than his salvation. Hmm. Now, you know, the writer of Hebrews says that this salvation is not just a great salvation, but a so great salvation. You know how great it is? You know how so great it is? It can take the worst of sinners and conform them to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his salvation. Fully prepare us for all that the Lord has for us in the age to come. So don't you hear me say this afternoon that I'm making light or making little this matter of God's great salvation. It is great. It is perfect. Nothing else needs to be added. That everything that you ever need for now and in the age to come has all been already been abundantly supplied for you. And even the faith and the grace necessary to appropriate it has been given. So... How, what can be greater than that? I believe this masterpiece, this church our Lord Jesus talks about building. Think about it. Her destiny is to be united to the Son of God. I don't pretend to understand that as much as I would like to. But brothers and sisters, you know in order for her to become the bride of the Son of God, she has to be something special. This is for eternity, brothers and sisters. And he has to be able to do the same thing that Adam did when he awoke after the Lord put him to sleep and removed that rib that our brother talked about this morning. And when he awoke and he saw that woman, now remember, he never saw a woman before. He saw a lot of animals but he never saw another human being. And he never saw one like this. But when he awoke, I think he opened one eye at a time. And when he opened that first one, he couldn't believe what he saw. So he closed it and said, I must be dreaming. But then he opened both eyes. And then I think he stood up and began to sing and dance. 
Because if you'll read it there in Genesis, it's a poem. I think it was a song that he wrote. And if I could dance, I would try to demonstrate to you this afternoon. <laughs> but I think Adam did when he saw this. Now, what am I trying to say? Human history, as we know it, ends with a wedding, with a marriage between the bridegroom, our Lord Jesus, and his bride, the church. Brothers and sisters, in order for that union to become a reality, it has to be the greatest thing that God has ever done. To take, listen to me, to take individuals who are his rebels, who are rebels, who are his enemies, who have sinned, who have been totally disqualified, and then for him to come and work in their life and restore them to a place where they are experiencing the glory of God, glory for themselves. But then, to me, something even greater is, how does he take all of these individuals and then build them together into a perfect unit that corresponds totally to the Lord Jesus Christ? When he looks at her, what does he want to see? He wants to see himself. That's the only way the marriage can take place. It's when the bride is fully, has the same character that is in the bridegroom. Oh, brothers and sisters, think about it. What have we done to his body? What have we done to the church? Do you see what we, to me, it's a grievous sin, what we have done of dividing his body. Because as our brother mentioned this morning, it just postpones it. It puts off the return of the Lord. It, it, it makes it impossible for him to come until she's ready. And so in Ephesians chapter 5, talks about Paul talks about that this matter of she must be a glorious church without spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blame. In other words, he has to look at her and see himself. So taking all the individual believers and building them together into one new man, a new humanity, has the Lord Jesus as its head. And his life comes forth from him by the Spirit of God, gets inside of other human beings and produces this work of glorifying them and then building them together. The church in all her glory. Oh, brothers and sisters, May I make an appeal to us this afternoon that we take another look at this matter of the church and stop using language that is not represented in the scriptures. You'll never ever find in the scriptures talking about going to church. Or you have no liberty to call my church, our church. It just reinforces and makes strong in our own minds a wrong concept. And it's, it, to me it's a grievous thing. And we need to take the grace of God and stop doing it. Realizing that you and I are caught up in the greatest thing that's happening in the universe. God producing his masterpiece. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So my brothers and sisters, there is a glory awaiting for the church. And ultimately she will not only be his bride, but as her, his bride, she will have a responsibility to reign with him. First of all, for that thousand years, and then forever and ever. I don't pretend to understand all of that. But the scriptures seem to be plain, clear, my brothers and sisters.
that the, the focus for the last 2,000 years has been to produce a bride for the Son of God. The Holy Spirit has been sent here. And he is the one responsible to see to it that all of this is accomplished. And so I would trust that you and I would take an, a, 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 we would reconsider our understanding of the church. And that we would find a way to more fully cooperate with the blessed Holy Spirit. Like our brother said, let's not grieve him. Let's not quench him. Let's not insult him. You know, you can actually insult the spirit of grace. So we need to be careful. We need to be uh, more sensitized to his leading. And so that we find ourselves, not only as the material the Lord is using to produce this masterpiece, but we are the co-workers. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing, brothers and sisters? He took his enemies, not only made them to rule with him, but to be his co-workers in producing his great masterpiece. All brothers and sisters. And then, let's fellowship for a few moments about the glory and God's creation. In Numbers chapter 14, you don't need to turn there, I'll just try to quote it. The Lord says, as surely as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. We understand this afternoon, this earth upon which we live, this planet upon which we live, is not in the condition it was when God originally created it. Now, you don't, under, you don't agree with me, and that's perfectly okay. But my brothers and sisters, when it says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created in the heavens and the earth, my brothers and sisters, the God that I've come to know in the person of the Lord Jesus could only do a perfect creation. What we have described in Genesis 1-2 is not the original creation. It's God recovering, restoring to a certain place where man whom he was going to create could live here on this planet and be the agent through which he would reestablish the government of God because the enemy, Satan, had rebelled against God. And this result we have in Genesis 1-2 is a result of God's judgment of him. But you know the amazing, amazing thing is that after God recovered the earth to a certain point, he then says, let us make man in our own image, according to our own light, and let them rule, let them subdue. And so what my understanding is now, he wants to take human beings created in his image and use them as the agents to reestablish his government here on this planet, restore this planet. You know there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. That this, this earth that we now live on is going to be totally restored and God's government is going to be, his righteous government is going to be perfectly manifested here. Doesn't look like it now, does it? But I wonder, the question I have is what's happening now? Is it related to this matter of restoring, of recovering? So Paul in Romans chapter 8 talks about that the whole creation, let's look at it, let's look at some verses. Verse 20, Romans 8, verse 19. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly 
for the revealing of the sons of God. Brothers and sisters, do you see Paul's understanding here? He saw that the, 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 the restoration of the, of the creation was tied to the manifestation of the sons of God. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Brothers and sisters, what God is doing in us individually and what he's seeking to do in us corporately is the way he's going to restore his creation. The creation is awaiting eagerly. What? The manifestation of the sons of God. It's linked to God recovery. Because, oh my brothers and sisters, if this can get a hold of our hearts, do you know how much our Heavenly Father, how much our Lord loves to use human beings to do His work? You know all He would have to do is speak like He did when in the darkness. He said, let there be light. He could say, let everything be perfect. And guess what would happen? He would all become perfect. But He hasn't chosen to do it that way. He has chosen to take human beings. It brings a greatest joy. It's glory to him when he can take human beings like you and me, simple human beings, and so work in them and work through them. And this is why he created Adam. But Adam was disqualified. But hallelujah, my brothers and sisters, our Lord Jesus Christ is the second man. And we are in him and he is in us. And we are part of a new humanity. And the Lord wants to use this new humanity to restore this planet. This is what the church's calling is. Not just to save sinners. Hallelujah, it is for saving sinners. And we need to be about that business. But what are they, what's done with them after they're saved? Are they brought to a place of maturity? Do they learn how to be a functioning member in the body of Christ? Do they learn how to lay down their lives? Is a way of the Lord using them to uh, fulfill this work of creation. You know, brothers and sisters, our Lord is a perfectionist. I don't know how you feel about that, but I say hallelujah. I'm glad he's a perfectionist. Why? <laughs> well, first of all, I'm glad he's going to make you perfect because I have to live with you for eternity. <laughs> And secondly, I'm glad you're going to make me perfect so it'll make it easier for you because you have to live with me. But you know what I'm trying to say. Our God cannot rest until everything is restored to perfection. This is glory. And even this creation, even though it's groaning in travail, it's been subjected to futility. He subjected it. He in his wisdom subjected it to futility, to emptiness, to vanity of vanities. But it's all tied to this matter of the manifestation of the sons of God. This is the glory of this universe. Do you see what I'm trying to share? The same way he created Adam to be an agent in recovery, he now has chosen us in himself to be those human beings, redeemed human beings in whom the spirit of God lives, in whom the very life of Christ abides. To we to be the ones that he would use in, in bringing this about. So, brothers and sisters, I don't know what you think about this issue of being called of God. 
He not only foreknew us and predestined us, but he called us, justified us and called us. What does he have in his heart and mind? What did he call us to? First of all, he called us to enter into the full salvation that the Lord Jesus accomplished when he said, finished. This is glory. Secondly, as an assembly of his people, wherever you meet with other brothers and sisters, it's in the Lord's heart to really manifest himself in a full way so that his glory, who he is, can be seen in the lives of the people who meet there. May the Lord help us to remember the church is not for us. It's not for us, brothers and sisters. It's his, and it's for him. Now, we are richly blessed beyond measure because we're a part of it, but it doesn't belong to us. May the Lord deliver us from even thinking about calling it our church, my church, my fellowship. And then the whole created order. It's all tied together. And to think, dear brothers and sisters, you know, because there are many people in the world now who are trying to do something about the world condition. And people with all kind of political persuasions and ways of governing people, they have tried them all. Even tried American democracy. Worked for a while to some people's satisfaction. But please, my brothers and sisters, American democracy is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of God. And it means when Jesus is free to really, fully reign and rule in that situation. It begins on our individual heart. Is he your Lord? Is he your Lord? Is he the head of the church? The assembly where you meet? Well, and he's seeking to use this as a way of setting free. <laughs> setting free into the freedom of the glory of the sons of God. And you and I are caught up in this. I know that it wasn't real to me for many, many years. And maybe you didn't realize. But brothers and sisters, I remind you once again, you and I, as the Lord redeemed, are caught up in the greatest thing that's happening in the universe. And therefore, I don't hesitate to say to myself and to say to each one of you, let's give ourselves 100% to him. Now, today I was standing at the window looking out onto the bay. And there was this seagull out there. And I felt like the Lord spoke to me <laughs> through this, what I saw with this seagull. He was trying to catch some fish. And the fish were in front of him, and he would come up out of the water, fly a little way, and then he would close his wings and collapse and go into the water after the fish. He did it 12 times trying to catch that fish. I guess eventually, because he stopped doing it, I guess eventually he caught that little fish. But it reminded me of how you and I need to learn to persevere. You know, some of us would have given up after the first try, but he didn't. He, he came up just flew a little ways and closed his wings and abandoned himself totally and went after that fish. Brothers and sisters, you and I have been caught by the living God, caught up in the greatest thing that's going on. And you and I are going to experience the hope of glory 
Maybe much more than we even find in the scriptures. I don't know, but we have enough there to really motivate us to give ourselves 100%, to abandon ourselves. So from the youngest to the oldest of us, I encourage us, abandon yourself fully to what the Lord has called you to, to what you're a part of. Give yourself to it. Even in the midst of all the other pressures, and we'll fellowship more about this tomorrow night, all the other pressures, all the other things that are happening in your life, you need to abandon. Keep, keep your focus. Your hope is glory. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to ask you this afternoon that you will take these feeble words and somehow use them to speak our hearts. Lord, we thank you for the revelation that we have in your word, and we thank you for the limited understanding that we have it, have of it. And we want to grow in that understanding of this revelation. But Lord, if it is true that this masterpiece that you're producing is the greatest thing that you've ever done, then we really are a blessed people, so honored to be a part of it, to be the material that you're using, bringing us to a place of being glorified, of being conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, of being qualified and having proven character where you can entrust us with the responsibility of reigning with the Son of God. And Lord, we ask you to open our understanding in a fuller way to how it is that we are linked to this issue of you recovering your creation. So Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to be diligent. Help us to do the things that you're requiring of us so that, Lord, that we will not postpone, but we can hasten, we can speed up the time when you can come back. So apprehend all of our hearts here this afternoon. Give us grace to fully respond to you, to abandon ourselves to you and to this calling that you have extended to us in the same way that Seagull did this afternoon. Lord, be merciful to us. And we ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.